Welcome to the Nuclear Power Institute's The Path of Most Persistent podcast. The podcast highlighting individual stories of persistence, community outreach, and inspiration to support the continuing and emerging nuclear science and technology needs across the state of Texas. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to The Path of Most Persistence. My name is Gianna Colson, and I am a program specialist here at the Nuclear Power Institute. So my mom is a retired district judge, and she's currently working part-time at the Juvenile Detention Center as a juvenile district judge. So we're gonna to talk to her a little bit about her life and her career, and different obstacles that she's overcome, and how she's persevered. Okay, um, welcome all. <laughs> Thank you. Starts from the beginning. Um, so my mom is originally from Puerto Rico, right? So it's a bit different from Mexico, <laughs> just in case you don't know. But yes, uh, when you first came, you came to Michigan. So was it a culture shock? And how did you adjust from going from Puerto Rico to Michigan? Well, I was a little girl, I was about four and a half years old when I came from uh, Puerto Rico to uh, Michigan. And we came to Michigan because my aunt had moved to Michigan. And so my mother came uh, to be with her. And so it was myself and uh, my sister and my grandmother and my mom. And we came. And yes, it's different because I didn't know any English whatsoever. It was all Spanish. And yes, you have Hispanics in Michigan, but uh, they speak a lot more English than they do like down here in Texas. So it was difficult. The time I saw snow, I was on the sofa and I just was mesmerized by the snow. It just was something I had never ever seen and it just was beautiful and I really enjoyed it. And you know, slowly you uh, assimilate. And especially I think what really helped me is that I was so young. I was very young. I think if I would have come as an adult or something it would have been more difficult. But as a child, you play with other children and you adapt and uh, you learn. As a Spanish speaking student, what is one of your first memorable experiences in the public school system? Well, I remember when I first started, I, of course I only spoke Spanish and my teacher only spoke English. And so we had a language barrier between the two of us. And I remember one time I had to go to the restroom. And so I told her, and of course she didn't understand. She told me, you have to speak in English. Well, I couldn't because I didn't know the language. I tried to get up to go to the restroom and she wouldn't let me. And I remember I peed in my pants. It was very embarrassing. It was uh, very uncomfortable. And I think she finally realized that it wasn't just because I wanted to go out to play in the, in the halls or anything that I really you know, needed to go. Then I remember when I was in high school and I had an English teacher, Miss Cameron. And I was in advanced English at that time. And we had the SAT, I don't know if it was the SAT or the ACT, and I didn't do that well on it. And so she was the one that was talking to us and letting us know what our scores were. And so she said, well, you know, you, you tested very low, and I think you need to maybe look for some trade school, beauty school or something. And it really hurt my feelings because I had wanted to go to college. And so I remember going to the restroom and crying because of what she told me. And then I just told myself, why do I believe her? I mean, you know, I mean, who is she to tell me I can or cannot do it? And so I, I finally left and I was in more composed. 
And then uh, I did go to college, I did apply, I didn't make it. And after my first semester, I came back and I showed her my grades. And I had A's and D's at Central Michigan University. And so I think I was trying to tell her, see, you were wrong about me. And two, you shouldn't say that to students because you never know their potential. And the testing is not always accurate and it doesn't always reflect who the person is. You are a civil rights activist in college. Um, you organized and participated in sit-ins and picket lines and recruited other students to join the movement. What gave you the confidence to challenge the system and the drive to do so? Well, I think because I believed in what I was doing. I had been what they call an in-state migrant. An in-state migrant is somebody that does uh, migratory work, but in their state. It's not like you, from, you go from Texas over to Michigan, uh, you're an out-state migrant. And then I was an in-state. So I knew how hard they worked. And then when Cesar Chavez, you know, was picketing because of the grapes and they were paying uh, fair wages and how the insecticides that they were using and herbicides and all that was affecting the people. I really believed in that. And so it was very easy for me to uh, protest and try to show people, hey, you know, you don't realize what these people are going through and you need to help them. And so I think that's what helped me, that I was very convinced of what I was arguing, picketing for. You're Puerto Rican and that's Mexican. Yes. Uh, Dad grew up in a very traditional yes. Mexican family. <laughs> when you were first married, his family expected you to wait on him hand and foot. Tell us a little bit about the cultural differences and how you handled it. Well, Michigan is very different than Texas, okay? Uh, uh, Mich in Michigan, the Hispanics assimilate a lot more uh, to the culture there. And so I was in college, I was a college student and, you know, uh, when I came and I met his family for the first time, uh, they had this image of me that as a Puerto Rican, I was black, uh, because an old girlfriend of my husband had told them that. And so, you know, they drilled me, you know, about what, what it was like to be Puerto Rican and what it meant and all that it made me feel very uncomfortable. And I told my husband, he said, I need that. He said, don't worry, you know, don't worry about it. And then I, I decided to go to law school uh, I went to the University of Oregon and my husband was here and my wife and my mother-in-law told me, I mean, Daniel, she says, you know, a wife doesn't leave the husband behind and all this. Uh, what if he finds somebody? I said, well, what if I find somebody? You know, because it hurt my feelings. And so I sort of retaliated. That's how I, I handled it. That's what I told her, you know? And then I remember when my uh, little boy, uh, I went to law school and I had Gianna when I was in law school and my little boy was used to his cousins and all that. So he wanted to come. And so my husband said, no, that's okay. I'll take care of him. And so my husband came back to Harlingen and I stayed at university of Houston in law school. And my mother said, you know, she told me, she says, what type of mother are you that you abandoned your child? And so, you know, those were the traditional uh, Hispanic, um, problems that I came across. And like, you know, women didn't go to happy hour. I took my sister-in-law to happy hour and she, her husband was in shock that I took her to happy hour. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on here? <laughs> Outrageous. <laughs> but anyway, it, it did take me a while to get used to them and them to get used to me. And so now they sort of consider me uh, more, not the black sheep, but uh, a person that is more progressive. Than I know several people have approached that over the years to run for office and you as well for other positions. Why is it that only one of you ran for office? Uh, well, you know, uh, 
I had been approached to run for county court. I'm not, I'm sorry, not county court, uh, state rep. But you know, that wasn't something that interested me at all. State rep didn't interest me and city commissioner did not interest me. But when they approached me about running for school board, I said, no, there's something I, you know, I can believe in and something that I feel I can contribute to. And I told my husband, he said, well, he said, you want to run, you go ahead. He said, I don't like being a politician. He says, I, I want to do whatever I want to do and not have to respond to anybody. And so that's how it started. And to this day, you know, at times they have talked to my husband, nah, nah, one's enough. And so I'm it. <laughs> uh, the first time you ran for office, mm -hmm. was for the Hardington School Board. Mm -hmm. And you lost. Mm -hmm. uh, you ran again the following year and you won. Mm -hmm. So what made you decide to run for the school board and what gave you the courage to try again? Well, the first time when I ran, I didn't know what the heck to do. You know, I had never been involved in politics at all uh, at that level. Okay, yes, having uh, strikes and all that, but not at the point of being a candidate. And I really didn't know what I was doing. And I met my uh, opponent's uh, campaign manager. And she had told me, she said, she says, I like you and I see you working hard and I would have supported you, said, but you came too late. Already they had asked me. So I lost, okay? And then I said, no, it's like on a horse. You know, you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. So I decided, no, I need to learn. And so I talked to Mrs. Osorio, she was his campaign manager. And I sat down with her and I said, what did I do wrong? Because obviously I did a lot of things wrong. And so she told me, she was very blunt about it. You didn't go and ask the right people. Uh, early on so that they would be committed to you. You didn't do any telephone banking, you know, we didn't hear anything about that. You did some articles in the paper, but very few and they weren't real effective. Uh, and she said, you didn't do any black walking. And so I learned, I learned. And I went and I spoke to uh, different people and I asked them would they talk to me. And some of them were comfortable talking to me and some of them were not. But the ones that were comfortable, they sat down and they told me, look, you did this good, you did this good, but you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And so from that I learned. Not only did I learn, but I got them on my side early on. And they, and they were the ones that encouraged me and said, you need to run again because you'll make it now that you know, you've started early and you're doing the things that you need to do. So that's what I did. I, I ran again and I won without a problem. When you first ran and became the first woman county court law judge, and later you became the first woman district judge, you were told that a woman would never win. And many people tried to persuade you not to run. How did you block out the negativity and persevere? Since I had learned from being on the school board, and by that time I think I had two terms uh, under my belt, I knew I needed to talk to people and I needed to get their input. So I talked to the Democratic chairman because I, I ran Democrat. And uh, I asked him, and he was, he was being honest with me. He wasn't uh, being ugly with me or anything. And he told me, Magdalena, he says, Cameron County is not ready for a woman. He says, we're very uh, machismo. Or, you know, you're not going to win. And he says, and he says, the lawyers are not going to be with you because they don't think you can win. And they want to be on the winning side. And then you're not going to get campaign contributions, so you're going to have problems uh, with the money situation. And so I listened to him. I listened to him, and I thought he would gave me valid points as to why he felt, you know, I wouldn't win. And other people basically told me the same thing. So I came home, and I talked to my husband, and he asked me, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I said, I agree with them that, uh, that attorneys probably will not support me. 
I agree with them that I won't have the financial support, but I disagree with them that Cameron County is not ready for a woman. So my husband says, well, do you think you can win this election? I said, yes, I feel like I can win the election. So my husband says, okay, Miguelio. He, he says, and my husband's an attorney, okay? And he says, I'll take care of the financial part. And so I said, okay. And so I went, there's a section in Cameron County that's across the river. It's called 281. And 281, I, almost everybody speaks Spanish and many of them do not speak any English whatsoever. So I went to my weakness. I went there and I talked to them and I introduced myself to them. They gave me a chance and they said, hey, we, we voted for Ann Richards. So we'll give you a chance. And so, you know, they introduced me to other leaders within 281. So I thought, God, if I got 281 under my belt, I'm doing good. And see, uh, they had tried to discourage me because they had their chosen one, the one that they were backing up, the one that they wanted to win and all that. And I wasn't the chosen one at all. So I said, that's okay. You know, uh, I've been used to working hard and uh, getting the things that I set my mind to do. And so I worked, I worked nonstop. And uh, I was very fortunate, very fortunate. My sister-in-law, I talked to her and I said, listen, I'm not gonna be able to be there for the kids so much. My husband can take care of them to a certain point, but would you help me? She said, yes, I'll help you. Uh, I had the support of my family and that really, really helped me a lot. And I didn't have any family down here. Remember my family was in Michigan. So my husband's family was my family. And you know, they're the ones I also relied on and they helped me. And so that really helped. Then when I, and they were in shock. They were in shock one and one. And I went to the courthouse and I was very happy. I was very happy. I had won, you know, all my hard work had paid off and everything. And you no, know, everybody was silenced, you know. They didn't congratulate me. They didn't uh, tell me, hey, your hard work paid off, nothing. Because they had all been against me. And so they didn't know how to deal with me. They didn't know what to say to me or anything. So I talked to my campaign manager and, and I told her about it. And I said, you know, uh, they're not even happy for me. I said, Miguel, you won. Remember, you won and you're going to be the judge. So they're going to have to somehow find a way to deal with you. And they will. And sure enough, that's the way it happened. And so when I ran for district court, I decided to run for district court uh, because one of the prominent uh, person, and again, the chosen one, you know, uh, I didn't feel would make a very good judge, you know? And so I decided to run. And again, I went to my husband, I told him, and he said, you know, I'm glad he said, you're taking a big risk. He said, if you don't win, you're not gonna be a judge at all. I says, why not wait? I said, no, I said, no, this guy would not be good for Cameron County. And so he said, okay. He said, you want to run? Let's go for it. And again, they didn't believe it. They thought it was a fluke the first time I ran and won. They didn't believe it. And then there was two guys. So it was three of us that were running. It was myself and two other guys. So they thought, oh, that's going to be run off and the other guys can win. And then two, it was two counties, not only Cameron County for district court, but Cameron County and Willacy County. Well, I always knew that eventually I was going to run for district court. So once I uh, won for county court, I made it a point to start going to Willacy County, to start getting to know who's who in Willacy County, uh, to tell them, hey, you know, 
um, coming over because eventually I'm going to run. I don't know when I'm going to run, but I want to get to know you and all that. And that helped me tremendously. So I worked, I worked it, I worked it, I worked it. And I won without a runoff. And so everybody was in shock. And they were just in shock that I was able to do that. And I had told one of the guys, one of the big uh, political contributors and all that, and I went to ask him for money, you know? And he said, well, he said, there's nothing wrong. I said, well, you know what? I don't think there's nothing wrong. He says, he said, well, you're pretty cocky about it. I said, it's not cocky. I says, I'm out there. I see what people are saying. I, I, I see uh, the momentum. I said, no, it's not. So he gave me money. <laughs> and he told some other people and they laughed. Ah, she's she's going to have a rundown. You know, it's probably going to be her and him. Anyway, when I won without a runoff, I mean, I don't think they knew what to think. You know, they just were amazed. And after that, I didn't have a problem. Okay. I ran uh, different times because I was in county court for four years and I was a district judge. Uh, elected district judge for 20 years, and now three years I've been at the juvenile detention center. Well, you, yeah, you've been several mm -hmm. elections without an opponent. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I did have one, uh, but you know it was like a guy that just ran for the sake of one. But still, I ran. They told me you don't need to run so hard. I said you never assume anything, never. And so that that's the reputation I got, and so that really helped. So I remember um, you've received two death threats in yeah. the course of your judicial career, yeah. which involved the Texas Rangers and the FBI. Uh, how did this impact your life as a judge and as an individual? Well, I remember that I was at home and I was leaving the house to go to work. And one of my staff persons called and said, the FBI is here to see you. And I thought, they're thinking it's the FBI. Why would the FBI want to see me? You know, I don't have any important cases before them. Anyway, so when I got to the office, uh, I said, well, where's the FBI agent? And they said, well, he went to take a break, he'll be back, you know? And so I thought, nah, they're pulling my leg, you know, they're just teasing me. So then the FBI agent came back and he says, well, he says, you know, we've learned that um, there's this threat against you. You had this case in your court. And I couldn't even remember the case, but it was a guy who was the uh, Republic of Texas, okay? And apparently they had been following that organization and my name came up and so, uh, they would escort me from the house to work, from work to the house. And then, of course, at the courthouse, you know, the bailiffs were there and, and they took precautions. And I think the one that took it the worst was my husband. And then to, for me, I think the thing that you know, affected me the most was my children. That somebody would come to the door, you know, would maybe uh, give them some candy or something, a box of candies, and they had poison it in when my kids would eat it so we had to sit down and talk to the kids and explain to them you know hey this has occurred don't worry about it but don't let anybody into the house and now my husband put a, a fence all the way around the house and a gate in front <laughs> so that nobody can come in unless we let them in uh, he was that concerned about it and then in district court you know we had a Texas syndicate case and this guy uh, was in prison and when he came out, his assignment was to kill somebody. It was going to be a hitman. And so he did. He killed the person. They caught him. And so they were very concerned. The Texas Rangers came and said, hey, listen, this is a very dangerous person. You need to be careful. And so they were very careful about it. And they were there during the trial and everything. And I had gotten a letter from the prison uh, threatening me, you know, 
And so they took, they found out who it was and they took care of the guy in prison that had sent the letter. Uh, but, you know, again, I told my husband, again, you know, he goes up in arms and, and he, he's the one he worries a lot, you know, because my husband's a very family man and he takes care of his family. And so, you know, his wife being threatened was not anything he took like. Uh, while in office as a district judge, mm -hmm. I made national headlines mm -hmm. with chickens uh, at the courthouse. Uh, 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 I remember you were about to come visit me in New York and you had to cancel the visit. Mm -hmm. You weren't allowed to travel because of it. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you deal with the negative publicity? Well, uh, I was fortunate. I was in Willisee that day and I was talking to the district clerk and the district clerk says, Judge, I think we just got indicted. I said, what? I was in shock. Why would I get indicted? I mean, you know? And so he said, well, he said, there's some other people, you know, in it, but yeah, you got indicted. Uh, and I, we had this district attorney who is crazy district attorney, okay? Crazy district attorney. And I had ruled against him on different cases and he was very upset, but he was never prepared, never ha had uh, his case law. And of course the, the, the other attorneys did. He went after the others because there was a prison case and I ruled against him on the prison case, yeah? And so he went uh, against us. So that when I learned I got indicted, the first ones I talked to was my family, okay? And I remember Gianna, Gianna, when I told her, she said, Mama, you're gonna be put in jail? And what's gonna happen? I said, no, I said, don't worry. I said, they're false allegations, we'll take care of it, but uh, we just have to deal with it. And I talked to my husband and all that. And then I called all the district judges and the county court of law judges, because I wanted them to hear it from me that they probably would see in the paper tomorrow that I was indicted and what had occurred. And so they all said, ah, he's ridiculous. He's the one that takes the chickens and roosters to the courthouse to protest and all this other stuff. And so they just didn't think it was a big deal, but it's not a big deal when you're uh, not indicted. And one of the female judges, uh, turns out she was in the indictment and all of a sudden it was like a totally different story. And I said, no, we'll work through it. And of course we worked through it. A visiting judge came in and heard and he dismissed it. And what made me laugh was uh, Dick Cheney's representative, where is Raymondville? Where have I heard of that place? <laughs> and I said, well, now you know where Raymondville's at. And because of that, he lost his election because he embarrassed everybody. And everybody was talking about the, the DA that brought the roosters and the chickens and the goats to the courthouse to show, you know, uh, that it was a circus. That's what he was trying to show that it, it was a circus there at the courthouse and everything. And so he lost his election and everybody in Raymond was so embarrassed, you know, because of the bad publicity he had given. So yes, you know, it takes a toll on you. It does take a toll on you because, you know, your family's affected. Uh, everybody around you is affected, but you have to be strong, you know? And so that's why I told myself, I'm gonna be strong and I didn't do anything. And so I'm raising my head up and we're gonna go through the process. And, and sure enough, we went through the process. And then I had to get my uh, indictment expunged. Okay, so I had to go through the expungement process and all that. So it really made me a little more sympathetic toward defendants uh, and what they went through. Because now I was at that end of the process. Uh, and so I think it helped me, you know, I think something positive came out of it, you know, it made me stronger and it made me more sympathetic toward the defenders came for my court.
What we have talked about today are just a few highlights of different instances in which you've had to overcome adversity. What are some of the key factors that help you persevere? And what advice would you give to others who are having trouble pushing through a difficult challenge? Well, I think the first advice I would give everybody is stay away from negative people. God, there's so many negative people in this world. Stay away from them. Uh, hang out with people that are positive, people that will encourage you. They may not know whether you can make it or not, but they'll tell you, hey, no, you, you're a hard worker. You go for it, you know? Uh, what's the worst that can happen, you know? Uh, they're positive people. And so I've always stayed away from negative people because there's always people that will try to bring you down. And I always uh, try to be with positive people and I try to be positive and help others as well. So that's the first thing I would say, stay uh, with positive people. And then decide what you want, whatever it is that you want and work for it and work toward it. And it doesn't matter what it, it takes if that's what you want. At one time I had thought that I, I had wanted to go to medical school. Um, I didn't have all the biology I needed. So they told me, yeah, you can do it. I was at Temple University at that time. They said, yes, you can do it, but you're going to have to take these courses. It's going to be a year and then you can apply. And so uh, I had thought of being a doctor or a lawyer. And then I decided to go the lawyer route because I felt, at least I thought at that time, that I would have more time for my family. Versus being a doctor, I wouldn't have as much time for my family. And so I decided that's what I wanted to do. And then I just went forward on it. You know, I just didn't let anything stand in my way. If I had decided I was going to be a doctor, I wouldn't let uh, the fact that I didn't have the courses I needed stand in my way. I would take the one year of uh, courses I needed to do and I would apply. So, you know, you need, just need to decide what you want to do. And the fact, I even tell kids when I go to talk to them at school, once you decide that you're going to study and that you want to become whatever it is, because I usually would ask them, what do you want to become? Oh, astronaut, police officers, uh, a judge like you or stuff like that. I said, well, all of you can do it. You just have to decide that's what you want to do. And then you have to set the course. And the course is that you can't be failing all the classes anymore. You're going to have to decide, hey, if you have to go and, and, and uh, do tutorial or whatever it is that you have to do, then that's what you do. I said, what do you want to be? I said, well, you want to be a lawyer or you want to be, you know, uh, at the checkout at HEV working there? I said, do you want to be a doctor or do you want to, you know, be at, uh, cleaning people up as a provider or stuff like that? I said, it's whatever you want to be. And you do whatever it takes to do it. And you know that you're going to have to work hard because nothing comes easy. I'm sorry. If it comes easy, you better look out. There's something. There's a catch somewhere if it comes easy. You know, you, you have to work for it. And if you work hard, you know, you'll, you'll make it. You'll make it. So those are the things I would say, you know, decide what you want. And sometimes for kids, it's hard at the beginning because they don't really know what they want, you know. So then I tell them, I said, well, explore. What do you think you'd like? Well, I'd like to accept, hey, you know, work, uh, volunteer at an attorney's office for the summer, you know, see if you like being an attorney or volunteer at the clinic to see, hey, is that what you really want to do? I said, and slowly I'll focus in. I said, and even in college, I said, when I first started, I didn't know I had wanted to be a lawyer. I said, so you have time. I said, just explore and, and uh, sooner or later, you'll make up your mind as to what you want. Well, thank you, Mom. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. I enjoyed us. it. <laughs> Um, 
I'd like to ask my colleagues, do you guys have any questions? Thank you so much, Judge Lopez, for your time today. Um, I wanted to ask a, kind of a follow-up question um, on whenever you go to speak with students, um, do you talk about um, perseverance or um, what kinds of things that, I guess, keep you going every day um, as far as, you know, is it family that motivates you to pursue the things that you do to provide for them? You know, do you talk about motivations and perseverance with them and how do you do that? Yes, I do. You know, I talk to them. Uh, I tell them a little bit about where I came from for them to feel uh, that it doesn't matter what their background is, you know, because I've had some that said, well, I went to school, but my dad's in prison and, you know, I don't know. I said, that's his problem. That's not your problem, you know? You need to do better. And uh, I, I encourage them to work hard. I encourage them to stay on course, whatever that course is, it doesn't matter. And I tell them, I said, you know, what helps me in my work is that I love what I do. I enjoy being a judge. And I think in Spanish, there's a word say don, that's my don, that's my uh, gift, that's my ability. I don't know exactly how to translate it in English, but I tell them, you do what you love to do because then when you work, it, it's not hard work because you're doing what you love. And I say, and always try to be the best you can at what you do, you know? And we all have handicaps. Uh, you know, I told them, I said, you know, when I was in law school, I was pregnant. And people would say, well, you know, uh, you should wait till after the baby. No, but it didn't stop me from studying. It didn't stop me from being in class. You know, I was out one week with Gianna and then I was back, you know, and they said, well, you know, uh, I especially I talked to women because some of them have children. I said, you know, your children should never stop you from doing what you want to do because you're doing it for them. You're doing, you're trying to have a better life for them. I said, so you need to go forward. I said, well, Gianna, I said, I was in Oregon. My husband was down here in Harlingen. His father had just died. I said, and I had to find somebody. So there was a student in class. And her mom was German and her mother did not speak any English at all. She spoke German and uh, she said, my mom will take care of Gianna, you know? So I paid her and she took care of Gianna for me. And somehow they communicated. I don't know how, but her, her and Gianna communicated and I was very grateful. And then when I went to University of Oregon there, at one of the ladies, she was an Oriental lady. I'm sorry, Houston, yes, an Oriental lady, didn't speak very much English, but she took her children for me. And she, she was, uh, uh, she stayed at home and took care of her children. And so you find ways. And so I told her, don't, you know, put obstacles in your way, find solutions for them. Uh, and find, I told her, I said, find somebody that is supportive. And sometimes it's only one person, maybe only one person. I said, but try to be in a supportive environment, even if it's just, you know, women. I remember in, in law school in Oregon, we had a women's group and uh, a lot of the women had children. Some of them were divorced. Some of them had never been married. And so we would talk about issues that we had and helping each other. And I remember one of the students, you know, uh, she helped me with Gianna when I was taking exams and Gianna stayed with her. So I could, you know, take the exams. So that's what I tell them when, you know, I go to school and talk to them. And sometimes, you know, they'll tell me things in, in, uh, 
in that has happened to them in school that have happened to them at home and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it sometimes i'll even when i leave they say can i talk to you for a minute and then they'll they'll tell me like that one told me about his dad being in uh, in prison and i told him yes i said he is in prison he's paying for his mistakes you just don't make those mistakes and you move forward and uh you go on to college and you know uh you prove yourself because everybody has to prove themselves. So I tried to do things like that with them. And, and I tell them, one of the things I tell them, look, you know, and where do you see yourself in 10 years? And they'll tell me, well, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, finishing high school. I said, good. I said, good. I said, because look, 10 years are going to go by. And you can stay 10 years watching Las Novelas. Or you can do 10 years and work and, and, and try to get a good education. I said, so it's up to you as to what you want to do. I said, but you need to start now. And I've had kids tell me, well, you know, I'm not doing good in school. I said, yeah, you know, that doesn't mean you can't change it. You know, you can change it. You can reverse that. I said, but it's up to you. I said, and you're going to need help because you're probably behind on things. I said, so if you have a favorite teacher that can help you or uh, somebody that can help you to catch up so that you can do well in school. And I'm amazed, you know, and I've had people come uh, maybe 10 years later. I don't know. I don't remember them, but they'll tell me what I said. I said, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> that sounds like something I would have said. Thank you. Uh, and Gianna, how much German do you speak now? No, <laughs> I'm not having a German nanny, a Japanese nanny, neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had uh, he had met her in the military, and he had married her, that young lady, and they came back to the U.S. And so he went on to uh, college there, Central Michigan, and she stayed at home. So that's when she uh, took on the job of taking care of Gianna. Yeah. That's cool. Thank you. Any final questions? Okay, well, thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you appreciated and enjoyed this. Um, in case I didn't mention it, today is May the 10th, the day after Mother's Day. Yes. So I am actually down here with my mom. We celebrated Mother's Day yesterday. So, yes. and a good time. Mom, and thank you for joining us. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I love you, my uncle. Love you too. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our podcast. The Nuclear Power Institute is a joint center with Texas A&M University and the Texas A&M Engineering Experiment Station and is a component of the Nuclear Engineering and Science Center. For more information about our center or about our guest speaker today, please visit our website at npi.tamu.edu and look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you.